the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Would you go back and change your parenting style? And later, what is the value of leaving a big church to start a small one? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We are so glad that you're with us today. If you've missed any of today's show, we'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast. Wherever it is you stream and download those podcasts of yours, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review as well. We always love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on the medias, on the socials. We would love for you to find us there. Brian, uh, you have three children, and I, I do. have three children. As we like to remind people, they are not children we share together. No, they are uh, not. <laughs> tell the people the age of your kids in case uh, they've missed that. That's right. My daughter, Madeline, is 19. She is a freshman in college. My son, Jackson, is 15 and a freshman in high school. And my daughter, Emily, is 13 and in the eighth grade. Okay, and then my kids, just behind yours, 16 is my oldest, 13 is my middle, and 11 is my youngest. Man, as I get older, I forget how old my how old my children are. Kevin and I recently found some home video footage from probably 13 years ago and longer of our youngest son, like three years old. I was super pregnant with our middle son, about to give birth like four days later. And it is so wild to think about how quickly time flies when you mm-hmm. watch those videos. Like they were little two days ago. They were little. And now it like feels like it doesn't it? college. It's so crazy. As you think back on your own parenting, Are there things that you would do differently? I mean, I know generally, yes, there are things we'd all do differently. But as far as like philosophy, style, are there major changes you'd be like, oh, I wish we wouldn't have done that or I wish we would have done this instead? Yeah, actually, especially when they're little, I don't I don't look back on my children and go, I I wish I had changed my parenting style at all. I don't. I'm happy with how Carrie and I did it. There are. Uh, aspects of my parenting, I wished if I could go back, um, you know, you get so crazy with work and little kids and stuff that I, I'd probably lack some intentionality at times. I was always present. I think I did a good job and have done a good job at being present. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I've always done a good job at being intentional. Like we're going to mm-hmm. talk about, the, you know, uh, and all of those things. Uh, but I do think that um you know and also i probably would change some things about how we introduce technology and phone into our family yeah, I, I would probably do that yeah. but when you ask what we're about to talk about kind of more stylist like philosophy of parenting i don't think mm-hmm. i would change what we've done you know it's funny watching the home videos there was like just kind of i mean an inordinate amount of footage of us just like playing with eli laughing and I do feel like as time has gone on, and this is just the reality of life, you've got three teenagers going in three different directions, two parents who work, 
man, those times of just like sitting around laughing. I I was telling Kevin, I I want us to. We have those times, game nights as a family, but it's not enough. Like, I long for more of that. But yep. the reason that I ask this question is because you and I are were at least kids or older kids in the generation of James Dobson's The Strong-Willed Child. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. that book? It was very popular amongst evangelical parents. I remember at least the effect of it. So it, he also wrote Dare to Discipline. Um, yes. It was a parent. He did a lot, uh, amongst other people, to craft some parenting models in the evangelical church. When you and I were kids, and uh, like, I, man, I, Dobson played a big role in my upbringing in the sense of like in youth group they'd pop in a Dobson video in this they'd pop in a Dobson (laughs) video I remember that so yeah I do remember his writings for sure yeah and I I do remember my own parents having a copy of the strong-willed child on their bookshelf I don't remember like much more than that but I know some of the things you know I've heard that came out of Dobson's philosophy of parenting and not just him but you know some parenting wisdom back in the day uh, was regarding spanking. And I don't know if you remember this, but how spanking should be done with like a neutral object. And so some Kevin's parents actually had this. We found it the other day. We were dying of laughter. A paddle, but it like has a heart on it or like a smiley <laughs> face on it, which might hurt it's more. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be like, "I love you." This is an act of love. I'm spanking right. you because I love you. And I think for a long time, evangelical parents thought we have to spank or we have to discipline in kind of a harsh way to show our kids that we're the boss and they're not or to show our kids like that they need to listen and obey right away and you know it's interesting Brian just in our own experience I our oldest son Eli was our firstborn, and we didn't know what we were doing and I can Mm -hmm. remember one time he was being naughty although I say that now he probably really wasn't it was just we were new parents and he was a it was firstborn it was firstborn naughtiness yes yeah it was firstborn naughtiness and so we spanked him and after that, I was like, nope, never again. We will never spank mm. our kids again. Because he just, re- I mean, his heart was broken and my heart was broken. And I thought, this can't be, like, I'm not saying kids shouldn't have consequences or discipline for their action. But one, he wasn't being that naughty. And two, like, it went against all of my parental instincts to do that. And I know some listeners may disagree with me hearing that. But I just felt like there were other things you know, you could do a timeout or you could lose a toy for a few minutes. There were other ways to discipline children without having to, like, kind of do this power heavy handed thing. Um, and I, anyway, I, what, what are your thoughts about the result of some of this parenting philosophy from yeah. evangelicalism, you know, back in the day? And I get it. I understand people who, um, who were I know people obviously who were spanked. I know of people who yeah. still do and swear by yeah. it. Um, I understand the verse, right? Spare the rod, all that right. kind of stuff. Right. Uh, I will tell you as background. I did not grow up in a family that spanked, and yeah. I did not raise my kids that way. We did not spank yeah. our kids, yeah. and uh, I. This is what people need to separate here is that does not mean we're light on discipline. 
And that does not mean right. we're like, hey, the kids run the show. They could do. It's not spanking or anarchy, <laughs> right? It's like mm-hmm. uh, instead, mm-hmm. uh, I think. Our philosophy always was like we were we disciplined our kids when they did things wrong, but it wasn't physical. It wasn't in ways. Yeah. And uh, I have not seen any negative results of that in my kids lives. Like, oh, if I like uh, what always bothered me was in these books about spanking. I'm not saying everybody who spanked was doing this. Sure. But in these books, it was always kind of. At least implied, if not outright taught, you need to break the child. Like you need to it, break it, them of this. And of that this was godly, like there it was yes. very tied to like that's godly parenting. Yeah, and you need to break them of their disobedience. You need, Dobson famously tells the story of uh, if you come up against a dog who is testing you, right? You have to like there's a certain way you have to treat them so they don't do that again. Yeah, and I just never I felt the same way you did it. Like it just didn't do well in my soul. Yeah, and uh, and it does feel like there are certainly people who still spank, but doesn't it definitely feel like? And some older people out there might think this is much for the worse and this is what's wrong with our culture. But it feels like generationally, uh, it has become less and less happen. It happens less and less. I think it happens less and less. At least I hope it does. I know that's not true in every home. You know, I do think, too, there is uh, early parenthood. Like, again, thinking about being a first time parent with our oldest, you are anxious and you want to do it right And I wonder if that makes you particularly sensitive to like this kind of here's how to parent. I'm going to follow this technique because you think that's going to be kind of the key to parenting and I'm going to do everything right. If I and there's different met, there's so many methods out there. There's I remember baby wise and I remember, you know, whatever, like there's brands of parenting that you kind of latch on to, I think, as an early parent. Excuse me, maybe not trusting the instincts that God has given you or trusting that, you know, maybe it will be okay, even if we don't follow this, these guides step by step. Anyway, interesting to think about the lasting impact of some of those parenting books. Well, coming up next, Brian interviewed me a little while ago. I'm going to. Uh, Turn the tables and I am going to interview him talking about his story of ministry and God's faithfulness throughout his life. We will do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You can probably hear in my voice, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, which is why Mm. I'm going to interview Brian and let him do most of the talking. That's why I do the show. Yes, that's right. He just saves me all the time, basically. And um, the last hour, Brian asked me some questions about how I got into ministry. And I'm basically going to turn the tables, flip the script and ask Brian some of those uh, same questions. So many of you know that Brian is a pastor of Four Corners Church, Four Corners Community Church in Downtown. Four Corners Community Church, that's right. Um, and I know the story of how you God called you into ministry, but I don't know that all of our listeners do, Brian. So how did you decide to go into ministry? Yeah. It, remember how, when, if people were listening before I told you, like when you look back, there is, oh, there, there, there. But in the moment, I didn't know that. So when I was at Wheaton, I grew up, uh, I think a lot of us who grow up in the, and have really healthy, good church experiences, like, then you're like, I want to do that. And that was yeah. my case. I loved my church growing up. I was very involved. My family was very involved. It was a little church in New Jersey. And, um, 
you know, the, the pastor of the church was my best friend's dad. So I got to see that all the time. And youth pastor played a big role in my life. And so I, I always kind of had church in my life. And um, but then I went to Wheaton and while at Wheaton, I kind of ran a, a dual track, if you will. I was um, a Bible major. So I was kind of like, I might go in the ministry, but I also, okay. ironically, we've told this story before, but ironically, yeah. I was studying to go into radio. I was uh, <laughs> sports radio. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. While at Wheaton, I, I uh, was the broadcaster. I was the play-by-play guy for all the football and basketball games for a couple of years. Like that's I called so Kevin crazy. Sampson football games. I, you know, that's what it was. <laughs> and so there was a while where I was very torn on which way to go like do i want to go this direction and try this this is why it's so weird that 20 years later like the radio came back yeah uh, it's a real kind of wow god you kind of like that's actually funny like it's kind of like god's kind of like, funny oh yeah i have this for you get ready you know that's and i'm not early d- I, on. yeah and i'm not doing sports but i make you talk about sports like that's where <laughs> we're at right now you know uh and so um there was there's only a couple moments in my life, though, and maybe you have some of these. There's only like two or three moments in my life where I feel like I heard God audibly mm-hmm. say something to me. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't grow up in like a charismatic Pente- Pentecostal kind of stream yeah. like this wasn't. And so I don't say that lightly. Like if there's people who's like, God audibly speaks to me every day. I'm like, that's not my experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there was a moment where it was uh, me and my buddy, we were in college at the time and we went with like the men's group from our church to promise keepers. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one happened to be in Syracuse, New York at the carrier dome, ton of fun. And I remember I was sitting off on my own, kind of writing in a journal, because when you're in college, everyone thinks they should write in journals. So I was writing (laughs) in a journal. And it was the strangest sensation, Aubrey. I remember like it was a loud arena and I remember for like a moment it got kind of muffled in my mind. Mm. And I wrote this down. This is where like I feel like I heard God very clearly. And it was simply this. Um, you know, uh, it, Basically, I heard this. Uh, a lot of people have built into you. Now it's time for you to build into others. Wow. And I was Ryan. just like, it wasn't like be a pastor, that kind yeah. of thing. But it was like, okay, I feel like God wants me to do something ministry wise. Yeah, and, that's you know, from there, it was it was a lot of small steps. Quite frankly, one of the big steps was starting to date Carrie and getting engaged and being like, mm-hmm. If I went into radio broadcast, like play by play, what I kind of was like always thinking about. Yeah. And I made it big. I'd never be home. Like I would just be <laughs> off doing things. And that's true. Being a pastor, you're kind of home. Like I like that life as I yeah. thought about it, too. Yeah. And so those are those markers along the way. And then, like you said, you just take a job and all of a sudden you're doing it going. I have no I like you. My first job was a part time junior high job at Glen Ellen Bible <laughs> Church. Awesome. After one month, there were some changes in the church. The youth pastor, Kelly Brady, who's still the head pastor there, was yep. getting moved up to basically be the assistant pastor. And he took me out. to. I'd been there one month. He uh, one month. Uh, we'd gra- we'd been only graduated from college for a month. He took me out and he said, 
would you consider becoming the full-time youth pastor? Wow. Aubrey, at this Brian. point, I had never ser- served in a youth ministry before. I'd never done no any way. of it. And he's like, I'll help you out, blah, blah, blah. And I took the job and I did that for six years. I was the assistant pastor there for like another four. And they were wow. the church that sent me out to plant the church. And you're wow. like, wow, God, that's crazy how like that's that amazing. went. And so there was a little bit of like supernatural and then a little bit of just like, I don't know. I yeah. just started doing it. But kind of one step um, at a time. Yeah, exactly. Where forward. you look back, you look mm-hmm. back and you go, oh, that happened. Oh, that happened. Oh, that happened. And it all kind of led to where you are. I heard a professor at Northern Seminary, Kevin's professor recently say that discernment, I I don't know if this is true, but his, from his perspective, discernment only happens retrospectively. So as you Mm. look back and see what God has done, that's how you know, oh, this was the path that God had me on. That's how you, oh, now I know how, what God has made me to do. Kind of interesting to think about. Okay. So Brian, as you, I mean... You've been in ministry for a long time, so this may be a hard question to answer, but are there things you've had to unlearn in your years of ministry? Like maybe you went in thinking X, Y, Z, but you realize, oh, wait, this is actually what it means to be a pastor. I feel like I've had to unlearn a ton of things. Um, When I look back, I think the most important one is, and this is still a struggle. You and I have talked about this. This never fully goes away. Uh, but you get in the pastoral ministry and you think you're supposed to be perfect. And so you start to realize I'm not perfect. So therefore I need to pretend that I am perfect. Like I don't have issues. I don't need to talk to somebody. My marriage Mm -hmm. doesn't have any, uh, issue. All of these things. I'm a, I'm a, and this is how, uh, I think pastor's wives, uh, or, uh, pastor's kids traditionally through the years yeah. get such baggage because that's true. It's, it's explicitly told to them, uh, when we're at church, you need to put a smile on your face. When you we're at behave. church, you better you, behave yeah. when you're at church. And I think early on I learned, okay, uh, I grateful the church that I was a part of Glenn Bible church and Four Corners is the only other church I've ever been a part of where we created the culture. And I think with both of those, uh, there was a healthy, like, you don't need to be perfect. But man, if I, yeah. if I could go back and talk to myself when I'm starting, that would be the number one thing. Be authentic mm-hmm. and honest with the right people. Uh, don't yeah. live with this burden of being perfect. Because I think there's a lot of pastors out there and other wow. church leaders, quite frankly, uh, yeah. who carry this baggage of, I need to be the representation of a good Christian for everybody in my church. Yeah, I think you and are then so we don't, right about that. Right. And then we're, that might not be accurate to where we're at at that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's how pastors uh, burn out, uh, have affairs, lose their marriages, all of the, their kids rebel. It's all because of that lack of being honest with yourself. Oh, what a good, what a great, like, lesson to unlearn. All right. Well, we're going to continue this conversation when we come back. We're going to talk about why. Both Brian and I really decided to leave bigger churches to start smaller ones. Uh, Not that we knew we were starting smaller ones. We'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. If you missed it earlier, I'm kind of interviewing Brian and he was interviewing me about how we got our start in ministry and how we've seen God's hand at work over our lives. And we wanted to continue that conversation now really to have a chat about bigger churches and smaller churches. Brian and I both left 
uh, relatively larger churches to mm-hmm. plant other churches. And I thought it'd be interesting for me to pick Brian's brain about uh, what that decision was like for him and for both of us to maybe talk about would we do anything differently looking back. So, Brian, I'll just dive right in. Um, What made you decide to plant Four Corners Community? Yeah, because you were on staff at a church in Glen Ellen, as you said, and love it. I loved it and love Glen Ellen Bible Church to this day. Like there is sometimes people plant churches or start churches out of like rebellion from the one they're at. Mm -hmm. They're like, I hate Mm -hmm. this church and I'm going to go start the perfect church. And there's youthful, there's youthful arrogance there or whatever. Uh, But I came, I I love the Kelly who I worked for and with. I love the and people. And he's still a mentor of yours, right? Yeah, like, we're still close. Yeah. We are still yeah. close. Uh, so I don't, I didn't have one bad word. And so there was actually loss for me in starting our church. Like it mm. wasn't all good. There was, uh, I cried in the pulpit on my last Sunday there very unexpectedly. I didn't see it coming. But they had Aww. me get up and kind of like they prayed for us and this, that. And I wept like I'd, wow. I'd never done it before. Wow. Um, and so uh, for me, I was ready for a new challenge. Like mm-hmm. I felt like God had something. I felt like I wanted to lead. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was one. But it was really weird, Aubrey. We were just talking about how God works in mysterious, crazy ways. I was feeling that like, I don't want to leave this church, but I might not, I might need to, for what I think is next in my life. <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody that, but my wife. Oh, wow. And in that season, Kelly was like, Hey, come meet me for coffee and said, said to me, the elders want to start a church and they want you to do it. No. And I was way. like, no, oh my way. gosh. And then I told them, let me tell you what I've been wrestling with. And so, uh, wow. But for me, there was loss and it was loss, Mm -hmm. but it was also excitement. When you say, what was it, the decision to go from a bigger church to a smaller church? I think I just didn't know. I think I assumed again, youthful arrogance. I was 32 (laughs) at the time. Mm -hmm. I think I thought, give me a couple years and we'll be bigger than them. (laughs) We're all listening to Mark Driscoll at the time. We were all going exponential. We were all doing this where you start a church and it explodes. And, um, and I remember Kelly even once saying to me, I think he was just trying to be very, um, he was trying to encourage me, but I remember him being like, I, ex- I think that you'll end up, your church will end up bigger than mine. In my mind, I was like, yeah, probably. But, you know, <laughs> uh, with that said, I do think along the way, along the 13 years, I've kind of learned that I'm, I'm pretty, I'm better suited for the smaller church or the medium sized church. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I have the wiring and the gifting and this and that to start to have a church of 2000 people. I'm not sure. Maybe I would, but I would need to probably go into that church where that structure already exists. Rather than Um, creating that infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I could go back in time and talk to myself as we were starting the church, I would say, Hey, uh, enjoy the ride. Like the ride's going to be really fun. But like any roller coaster, they're going to be high highs and really low lows. And just hold on. Surround yourself with the right people. Mm. Um, Because you and I have talked many times about this. While there are great benefits to having bigger churches that I kind of wish we had. Yeah. Yep. There's also great benefits to the smaller church that are like, I can really dive into people's lives. I could do this. I could do that. That that are great. Now, you and Kevin... 
if I know your story correctly, you weren't necessarily planted out of another. So your story's different. I was yeah, handpicked by a church and they yeah. said, we're going to send you. So that's a little different. They didn't. I should tell people, and then we'll go to your story. After year one, we had no connection to Glen Ellen Bible Church anymore. Yeah, For the first right, year, right. they gave us some money. Kelly sat on our elder board. There was like a transition year, mm-hmm. but it was made very clear. So we're not a campus of them. We're not this. It was made very clear. Yeah. After year one, uh, you're on your own, sink or swim. But your story is a bit different. Yeah, it's a little different. Um, we were we were both on staff, also at a church that we love, Community Fellowship Church in Carroll Stream. And I mean, it was really an incubator for ministry for both of us. And so we're so thankful for Community Fellowship. But Kevin had honestly spent probably 10 years feeling called to church plant. Really? Yes. Like for a very long portion of our marriage. And I absolutely didn't want to. And so I will say it was the kindness and the humility of my husband to wait until I was ready. A lot of men would not have done that. And he did. Um, And I don't think I give him enough honor or credit for that because he Mm. waited very patiently for me as I just kept kind of squashing his dreams. I mean, that sounds more negative than it really was. But I just partly is I didn't really understand, like, what is a church plant? Why would you start a church? This is weird. There are enough churches like all the things that people say were the questions that I had. Um, And. It got to kind of a, a point we had we had gone to Africa, we had come back, we were in ministry, we were having kids, got to the point where Kevin was kind of like, babe, like the God has not shaken this call. Like, I, I this is really what I want to do. And so I think the Lord just finally was like, OK, Ops, you got to like you got to let go of control a little bit here. And so I said, OK, well, here's here's what I need. I need to just be around a church plant. I don't understand what it is. And part of my fear is that. And so is there something we could do to just like be around church planters so I can understand what this is? And, you know, of course, how God works. Somehow Kevin (laughs) crossed paths with John Peacock, who had planted Mission Church, and they didn't know each other until then. And so John and Kevin talked and Kelly, John's wife, was very similar to me, did not want to plant a church. They were at Willow of all places. So to leave Willow and plant a church, you know, not a Willow church plant but their own church. So so I'll never forget, we all went to McDonald's one day and let our kids play in the playland. And just to hear kind of Kelly affirming, yes, your fears are are real. One of the things Brian, you'll appreciate, she talked about was how upset she was. They don't have a youth ministry. What are we going to do if there's not a thriving youth ministry? <laughs> yep, That's something yep, you and yep. I have talked about. Um, and then they invited us to come on staff at their church and be church planting residents. Oh, really? Just, I don't think I knew yeah. that part. Yeah, so we were on staff at Mission Church for about a year where they trained us in sort of here's how you plant a church. They sent us, they blessed us. We're not a Mission Church plant, but Mm -hmm. they provided financially. Community Fellowship also provided like three months of our salary. So they blessed us and sent us too. And we actually wanted to plant a Community Fellowship plant, but they just weren't into church planting. It wasn't what God had called them to. So we left there very amicably. But Mm -hmm. it is interesting kind of like I definitely, I, I, I feel a little guilt but I also trust that God was using me as like discernment in my husband's life that the timing needed to be God's and not Kevin's and that again just affirming his patience with me and um, so our 
you know, our church planting was sort of me being like, okay, all right, I guess God is calling us to this. I guess we'll do it. Okay. But now loving it and being so grateful to be kind of in the church plants world. Yeah. Certainly yeah. lots of lessons that we have needed to learn and probably should have non going into it, gone, uh, known going into it. I think a lot of times we're like, building the airplane while it was flying. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll bet you your husband, I'll bet you Kevin in an honest moment would say in hindsight, he probably wasn't ready, but yeah, he was probably ready for the old ready fire aim. There's probably been, he could probably go, you know what? Uh, It it might've been frustrating to have to wait, Yeah, but the waiting led you to these other people who helped train you and that yeah. got you like maybe if you started the church when he wanted to that church would have been lasted a year and been gone I, and, I think there's probably some truth to that like the Lord you know the Lord obviously knew what he was doing right. so anyway that's our, our very different church planting experience but certainly uh, certainly a faith stretch like I, I I can end with this but I used to tell people like I don't even think I was a Christian until I was a church planter I don't even, <laughs> you know and I mean that facetiously but the amount of yep. faith that it took in watching God build his church was absolutely a tremendous experience. no doubt about it well coming up next we're going to talk about the trend of mental health apps do they work don't they work are they helpful digital tools we'll talk about that when we come back you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life that is the end of the show and at the end of the show we love to either put a smile on your face or get you think of spirit get you thinking spiritually or do both at the same time yeah. Um, do you know over at Wired, there's a spiritual advice columnist? I did not know this. This is something that I just learned about. Um, but this columnist is talking about mental health apps regarding our spirituality. Hmm. So do you know about these various mental health apps? Headspace, I've heard of them, but of them, not a really popular one. Not really. I'd love for you to tell us more about it. By the way, I am a, I, coming full circle. You using Wired here. For some yes. reason, this was such a go-to website for Ian Simpkins back in the day. Really? And I, was, I was like, Wired? What are you doing? He's like, I love it. It fascinates me, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at that. Look at Ian's, Ian's lasting influence on the comedy. Yep. I love it. But that. when you describe mental health app, what, it, what are we talking about? Okay. Well, a mental health app is... Um, Okay, let me let me read you from Wired a description of Headspace so that we understand what these mental health apps are, okay? Mm-hmm. Headspace is one of the most popular mental wellness apps, and when you open it, you're greeted with the image of a blue sky, which is a metaphor for an unperturbed mind. You're encouraged to take several deep breaths, and there are instructions that appear across the sky that tell you how to breathe, like when to inhale, when to exhale, and, uh, you know, that's obviously relaxing for a lot of Mm -hmm. people um and then some of the other apps are not are are similar like about self-awareness or self-knowledge or meditation they're not necessarily alternatives to therapy so i Mm -hmm. think that's important to remember but apps that help you consider um breathing techniques or relaxation or tracking your sleep or exercising, that kind of thing. And they are growing in popularity, as you can imagine. Some of that is because of the cost of these things in real life, right? To get like a personal trainer, really expensive. To go to a yoga class, expensive. To practice mindfulness with somebody else, expensive. But to be able to do it just on an app on your phone, 
you may pay a little price once a month, but uh, obviously it's more cost effective. So, um, Brian, not having known much about these apps and me just giving you kind of a general description, what are your thoughts as to the value of them? Uh, it feels like it's using our technology for good, right? We always yeah, talk about how our technology is used for bad. And just like when you choose a counselor or when you do anything, you want to use wisdom, right? Not all mental health apps or whatever our mind maps are. Uh, are created equal. So you want to be careful. You want to be, you want to do your homework. Um, But with that said, the fact that uh, these phones that we have in our hands or whatever else can, can help push us towards greater mental health, I think is wonderful. And it's a, it's a, it's a good use of technology. Whereas we bemoan so often the negative things about technology. Yeah. I think obviously, and like you said, use them with wisdom and use them for what they're worth. One thing that Wired notes is that of course, for um, none of these apps help you understand why you're anxious, why you're depressed. You need to Mm -hmm. go to a therapist for that kind of thing. Right. And it's worth noting that that's a major crisis in our society right now and an app is not necessarily going to solve that but i think to be you know spend five minutes slowing down breathing Mm -hmm. or use an app to get you off your couch exercising like all of those things are really certainly beneficial like i don't i don't necessarily see the downside of them unless you're like getting I don't know. You're relying on them too much. I'm trying to decide what the what the downside would be. Maybe if you're using it instead of getting the actual help you need, I guess. So that's it. I think it's the the downside is if you don't take the next steps, because uh, like you said, I don't know that an app is the end all. Like it feels like it's going to be. An app is going to start you down a pathway towards mental health in terms of like causing you to think about some things or read some things or this. My my guess is the danger is that a lot of people probably stop there, uh, yeah, and and it's a very right. solitary thing. Like you said, we many of us have exercise apps, but. Mm-hmm we probably struggle with them because there's no accountability. Who's getting you off the couch? Like you said, who's, who's running yeah. with you or whatever else it would be. Yeah. So I would suspect as long as these apps are used for what they should be used for, kind of the, the getting the ball rolling, kind of bringing about mm-hmm. some health. Uh, and then you still, if you need counseling, you still go see a counselor or you, right. then I think these are good right. things. If they're the end all like, Oh, you know what? I'm severely depressed and I'm just going to read this thing on this app. You're probably, using them incorrectly yeah i think that's a i think that's a really good kind of bottom line and then something that you touched on just now is the individual nature of them i i do think there's a pace a place where you could get too isolated right and like remember you need to be in community go find yourself a small right. group or an exercise group or, or something like that for your health are there what are your go-to apps brian do you, one do you have any for like spiritual encouragement or for health wellness that kind of thing or are you are you more using apps for like entertainment <laughs> when you said that, I was like, uh-oh, I don't have yeah. any. Yeah, this is this is one reason that this is interesting, because I don't use apps or my phone for that way. It's all entertainment yeah. and games and social media. Yeah. And uh, so maybe it's worth looking. Like, I've got the Bible on my phone and that kind of right, stuff, but I'm not right. I'm not doing daily devotions. I'm not doing, you know, right. um, some sort of, you know, meditate, any of it through my phone. Mm-hmm. So do you have one that you go to or a couple? 
So I don't. I have the Bible app and I do have some fitness tracker apps or like healthy eating apps that I do mm-hmm. use. But like I have a friend who uses a meditation app almost every morning and she'll send me, oh, this meditation was great. This meditation was great. And I'm always like, yeah, one of these days I'll do one. And I just <laughs> don't. Like, and part of it's just I maybe not in my routine. Like I just I get up and I journal or read the Bible or if I have time or, you know, try to sit in silence and drink a cup of coffee. You know, sometimes I get up and get up too late for that kind of thing. But like, I don't, it's just not in my rhythm. And so I don't tend to use it. I actually, I think it'd be interesting. uh, And for our listeners, if you're somebody who uses a wellness app or a mental health app or a mindfulness app that you love, let us know on our social media. We are at common good talk. Would love to hear from you. Well, Brian and I will be back again. Can I, can I, Oh, can I end us with a joke? Come on. I haven't told you end a joke us. in a we while. Need we need a joke. And I'm then so you glad you said that. We need a joke. The, yeah. You know what? Laughing is good for your mental health. I don't think I'm going to get right. you with this one, but okay. I'm going to go with it. Are you ready? Okay. I'm so ready. Aubrey, <laughs> once, <laughs> once upon a time, there was a king who was only 12 inches tall. He was a terrible king, but he made a great ruler. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's good. I was wondering not great. where I was going. That's not... I'm like, but like 12 inches. I'm like, okay, it's going somewhere. There's a punchline there. It's good. That's not like ruler. that's not like fall off your chair funny. But that one, no. I, I read it and I was like, it's I'm little... going to be able to get Aubrey with that one. That's a little giggle. And you know what? That was appropriate because you're right. Mental health and laughter go hand. Send them out with laughter. All right. Yes. Thank you for that, Brian. Well, once again, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common good on am 1160 hope for your life three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.